Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning with our, with our hearts open, with our mouths dry, uh, with, with a cry in our throat. Uh, we yearn so deeply to call you Father. We yearn so deeply to be adopted into your family. We yearn to have your spirit flowing through us. And I just pray, Father, that this morning you would, you would push me out of the way and that you would speak uh, to these people that you love. In your holy name I pray, amen. Uh, point number one this morning, by way of introduction, I, I'm going to talk about the Trinity. And I feel like I have to do that, even though it's not really part of my sermon, just so that things don't get confusing. Uh, some of you know Ivan, the, the uh, Iraqi who, who came over. He was my interpreter in, I, in Iraq. He's been here a number of times. Um, he's come to my Bible study a number of times and sort of always uh, trying to introduce him to Jesus. And, uh, and we had this, this brilliant conversation um, because he really struggles with the Trinity. And it's actually it's a core foundational Christian doctrine. One of the first things that the church fathers and the apostles really wanted to nail down for the church, they didn't want people to get wrong, is the doctrine of the Trinity. Trinity is a made-up Christian word that means triple unity. Cut both of the words in half, smack them together, that's the word Trinity. And what we mean is that God is three in one. So... Probably the best creed that sums it up is the Athanasian Creed. And, and I won't quote it for you this morning, uh, but you can Google it, and, uh, and it, it's kind of lengthy, and it sort of sets out how you're, supposed to, um, how you're supposed to deal with the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, here's the deal. We have Father, we have Son, and we have Holy Spirit. Just imagine this triangle, if you will. All right? That triangle is, is what we call God. Put God right in the center in your mind of that, of, of that visual image. You got it? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God right in the middle. Imagine spokes going to the word God, and each one of those spokes is, uh, is. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. But there's also spokes that go around the edge of the triangle that say is not. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son. Right Now here, this is the beauty of the Trinity, you're not going to get it. You're not going to make logical sense out of it. It is a paradox. And I've heard of plenty of preachers trying to be helpful by saying the Trinity is like, and let me just give you a few of the examples that I've heard. The Trinity is like an apple. Right? There's a core, there's meat, and there's a peel. Put it all together, and you get a whole apple. Right? Or the Trinity is like, it's like H2O. There's, there's liquid, we call it water, right? There's vapor, we call it steam, and, and there's ice. And, and it's, it's, like, it's sort of like three different modes of, of water, of H2O, right? That may be helpful for you. Let me just tell you right now, every single time a preacher tries to be helpful to a congregation by saying something like that, he does something that we call heresy, <laughs> right? And that means to actually get it wrong teach people wrong. So those things may be helpful for you to think about, but I just want to let you know right off the bat, those things are wrong. Why are we spending so much time on the Trinity before getting into a, a, a sermon on the Holy Spirit? 
Well, here's why. Because what we're talking about is who God is. And if you take the Holy Spirit and you separate it from who God is and you think there's God the Father, that's the one I pray to for things. Jesus, the one who died on the cross, who saved me, and the Spirit, who is now in the world. And you somehow separate those three things, you're doing something very, very terrible. Right? And, and what you're doing is you're confusing who God is. And you think that the Holy Spirit is somehow separate from God or that Jesus is somehow separate from God. What winds up happening is that we then start to imagine this crazy God. Like, like there's this God the Father judge character up in the sky. And there's these other two characters who are trying to sort of appease this giant judge in the sky who's trying to smote us. And Jesus is like, no, 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 don't do that, Father Judge, because, because my blood was shed. And the Spirit is trying to, you know, uh, make everybody okay. You see what starts happening when we start separating those things? So when I give a sermon on the Holy Spirit, I'm giving a sermon about God. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm not, we're not going to separate that this morning. So I just want to let you know that I don't care who's been helpful to you before. The more you say about the Trinity, the more wrong you become. The less we say about it, the better, the more right we are, okay? So the Trinity is God three in one, and it just doesn't make sense. But actually the way that God reveals himself to us in the world all the time is through ways that don't make sense. When God introduced himself to Moses, it was through a burning bush that was not burning. There were flames and yet it was not consumed. Because that doesn't make sense. Exactly. Welcome, Moses. Welcome, congregation. I will give you, God will reveal himself in such a way that you will be able to relate, but you will not be able to put a border around who God is. He will be gracious enough to give you a name, but he will not be gracious enough that you'll be able to pronounce it. Does that make sense? Okay. So, this morning, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1 Verse 1 is, to me, one of, one of the most stunning pictures in the Bible. And Genesis 1-1 goes something like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's how our Holy Scripture starts out. This picture of, of, of God creating this formless, watery blob and the spirit hovering over the face of the waters. In fact, we go through Genesis and, uh, and, and the Old Testament narrative in general, they sometimes blur the air that we breathe every day with the spirit of God. So that in Genesis 1, you'll find theologians who argue at various times, is this talking about the spirit of God? Because he uses the same word, ruach. Is, is this talking about the spirit of God or is this talking about just plain old air? Right? And actually, it's meant to blur the lines there. We are meant to have an understanding that the very breath of life this regular old air that we breathe in and out all the time is somehow connected to the spirit of God because we are always dependent on him for life. Every time we fill our lungs in and out, whether you believe or not, 
You are praying a prayer of praise and thanksgiving and of reliance on God. Every time you take a breath, you are saying, thank you, God, for giving me life. And it doesn't matter if you believe or not. That's just sort of how we build our theology. As soon as you stop breathing, you stop living. And that's because you don't have this spirit of God in you, this breath of the spirit. So kind of, kind of uh, um, I don't want to say mystical, but, but, but kind of this, I, I get sort of a, a Lord of the Rings feeling when I'm reading Genesis and, it, and it's talking about it. sort of like, this is a different world. It's something I don't quite understand. There are different rules here. There's different, when we're talking about the spirit of God being in creation, we are referencing Genesis 1.1. The spirit of God does not take a hike at any point in the, in the narrative. At any point in the story, the Spirit of God does not wander off. The Spirit of God has always been over the face of the earth, and it has always been doing something very crazy, which we'll see right before the flood story, contending with man. The Spirit of God is over the face of the earth, and it contends, it strives with, it woos, it talks to the spirit of humans. So I want to allow you this morning to pretend that you are someone like Peter or Paul, one of the apostles, one of Jesus's posse, one of the people who followed Christ around and listened to his teaching. Is something happens throughout the Old Testament narrative in which the Holy Spirit changes the way that it talks to people. In Genesis 1.1, people literally walk with God. And God walks around. It says he was, he was in the garden in the cool of the evening saying, Adam, where are you? Not exactly the experience we have today. Right? I go out to my garden, but... God isn't walking around there uh, in the way that he used to. It's different now. He's still there, but it's different. Right? Then God came to, uh, to Abraham and introduces himself. And there's, there's, there's a different type of revelation. I am God Almighty. How are you doing? I want you to go to a different land. And we, we, we go up. Um, through Isaac and Jacob, we get to Moses, God sends his spirit in a special way that we call the Shekinah, or the Shekinah glory, in which the people of Israel could literally see a whirlwind of fire or smoke, depending on day or night, and they could follow it around. And Moses could go and commune with God in the tabernacle, or when God gave him the law upon the mountain. Different revelation. Spirit's still there. Spirit's still doing its job, being on the face of the earth and contending with man. Then we have the prophets. We have the law and the prophets. Prophets will wander into the people of God every once in a while, and sometimes they look crazy. And they speak to the king and they speak to the people and something happens. They they are known by their signs and by the truth that they tell. 
There is literally something inside of the king or inside of the people who are listening that when the prophet walks in and says, God says that when their hearts open up, they go, ooh, this is the spirit. But the spirit, see, the spirit would come down almost like, uh, like a, a beam of a UFO or something like that and just, bam, nail one person. We have this account, this crazy account of Saul chasing David, right? And, and God didn't want Saul to kill David, but Saul was going to kill David anyway. And as he's sort of getting close to David, he's going to murder him. The spirit of God jumps, <laughs> jumps on him and Saul is out of control. He is spirit possessed. It says that he hangs out and he walks around prophesying. And therefore, there's this saying that says, is Saul one of the prophets? Because he's acting crazy and he's doing this spirit thing. Clearly, he's not in his right mind. He's in the spirit mind. And then, all of a sudden, the spirit jumps away from him. And he starts looking around for David and starts chasing him again. Trying to get him. You see, the spirit is localized and it comes on one person and it was job of the people to keep their hearts open to listen to listen for the prophet to listen for the holy spirit because it came in a very special way there was something that happened at the the captivity of israel when when israel went to a place that it was banished from being in the land they got taken captive and taken away israel got uh literally destroyed and judah went down to babylon and and there was this time period uh, that happens there that we call the intertestamental period. And what it means is that there was 400 years where we have no record of the Spirit speaking to the people of God. 400 years where the Spirit of God is not contending with man. And the people of God were so thirsty. The Spirit of God had not went from being something that everybody knew about and told stories about to something of distant legend. I want you to imagine that, that you're one of the prophets or, or one of the apostles, uh, disciples at this point, really. You're following Jesus around. There is something that happens in the land of Israel when John the Baptist shows up. Because John the Baptist did not do many signs and wonders and miracles, but rather he spoke the truth. John came and he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the people of God were cut to the heart. And the spirit spoke to them and said, listen to this guy. All of a sudden, the spirit showed back up after 400 years of silence. And the people of God were flocking to John the Baptist that they might be baptized for their sins, that they might be made ritualistically pure and prepare themselves for the coming of the Messiah. When Jesus came, the Spirit was so, he was so full of the Spirit that people would touch the hem of his garment as he was passing by, and the Spirit would heal them of ailments. He would speak truth, and people would know in their hearts that he was telling them the truth about the kingdom of God. As Jesus is wandering around the land of Israel in three years, he turns it upside down because the spirit of God is just bursting out of every pore. Now, before Jesus goes to the cross, because something happens at the cross, before he goes to the cross, 
he's sitting with his disciples in this room and he's, he's having the last, the last supper with them. And he says to them, listen, I, I want you to listen to me. And he does this three, four chapter speech. We'll find it in John. Uh, it's going, the story's going to start at chapter 13. We're not going to read the whole thing. Um, I feel a little bit bad about that, but I hope that the bit that we do go over will, will prompt you this, this week to read this account of Jesus, this long speech of Jesus to his disciples. He says, listen to me, I'm going away. This is where he institutes the, the Lord's Supper. So we're going to pick up in chapter 14, verse 15. All right, so, so I'm just dropping you in in the middle of the speech, and I'm sorry about that. Right? Um, so you're going to get, I just am going to expose you to the things that Jesus says about the Spirit. But the picture here is that Jesus knows he's about to die. He knows that he's about to, in his words, go away. And he knows that his disciples need just, just this little extra bit of knowledge. They need just this little bit of extra encouragement. They need just this little bit of extra speech so that when he does go away, they're not totally lost in the sauce. This is John 14, 15, and we'll be reading through to the end of the chapter. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. He continues the speech. He continues the speech. Jesus gives a promise. 
And he says, listen, I'm going away, but the Spirit, the Spirit is coming. You're going to be happy for me. You're going to be happy for me that I'm going away. Now, the disciples not only don't get it, they really don't get it. What happens, he says this to them and he says, rise, let us go from here. And this is what I imagine. Jesus literally taking his disciples, they're leaving, they're walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane where he is betrayed by Judas. And he's talking with them about being the true vine, about, about being the good shepherd, about all this sort of stuff on the way there. I think the disciples at this point go, Jesus usually acts a little bit crazy, but he's acting really crazy right now. How many Red Bulls did this guy have before, before the Last Supper? This, this guy is, is, is talking some nonsense here. And indeed, it was nonsense. It was nonsense because they did not have the Spirit of God to tell them what Jesus was saying. Jesus was trying to be as clear as he could be, and the disciples could not get it. This is how amazing the Spirit is. When Jesus actually dies and resurrects and leaves... The Spirit doesn't just come to them to let them know the truth. The Spirit comes to them and they remember all of the things that Jesus said in an amazing way. By the power of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, all of these lessons that Jesus taught, they sort of, it was sort of like uh, when I have a Word document or something from somebody else's computer and the computer misreads what it is, it's all garbled. And then I hit like, turn it to compatible mode. And all of a sudden, it's a letter that makes sense. That's exactly what happened to the, well, not exactly. They didn't have computers and you know what I'm saying. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit translated this garbled Jesus talk and it all made sense. Let me give you a little hint right now. If what I just read makes no sense to you, you need the Holy Spirit. If what I just read to you sounds like garbled nonsense, it's because the Holy Spirit is not translating it in your mind and... The beauty of this whole deal is the Holy Spirit is really easy to get. It's not like the Old Testament anymore. Before I get in there, let's, let's turn the page. I want to read you one more little bit from this speech from Jesus. This is John 16. We're going to start in verse 7. Nevertheless... I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore... I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This amazing thing happens. Jesus is telling them what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He's giving them certain promises. Shortly after this, 
Jesus is dragged in front of a uh, in front of a tribunal of sorts. He is convicted of having no sin. He is convicted of being guilty, but needing to die to keep the peace. This is what the human courts say about Jesus. And they march him under the weight of his own cross to a place called the skull, and they crucify him there. And, the, and God, God dies. God dies a very human death, and he stays dead for three days. And then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, because God has power over death, Jesus comes back to life, and he comes back to his followers, and he says, this is what happens when you have the Holy Spirit. When you are made right with God, through me, you have resurrection. Then he sort of, he sort of spreads his arms like this, at least this is what I see in the movies, and, um, and, and he ascends. He ascends into the clouds. And the disciples, the disciples gather together in this huddle. And they are in, they're in Jerusalem and they're waiting and they're praying. I want to read to you from Acts What happens is they're, they're, they're hanging out in Jerusalem. They're praying with one another. They're contemplating what's going on. How is all of this? And all of a sudden, this, this wind starts blowing. The air starts moving. The building shakes. And the Holy Spirit, boom, comes into these disciples. Let me just read to you very briefly this, this, this account. Uh, I'm going to start in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm just going to stop reading right there because we'll have to read four more chapters if, if, if we go much further. Here's what happens. The Holy Spirit doesn't just fill them up and they start doing crazy things to one another and, and doing socially awkward things. They walk out into the public square and they start preaching. And everyone who hears them is cut to the heart. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts exploding through everybody who hears the message. Everybody who hears about Jesus, the Spirit of God convicts their hearts, just as Jesus said it would. Because the Spirit of God is over the face of the earth and it contends with man. It woos us to God. It draws us towards one another. And this is what happens there. And the people go crazy. 
because they have never experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like this. This is the new rule. The new rule is that the Spirit of God is for everyone. Everyone in such a way that people who are standing by, there's this guy named Stephen who's standing by, and he's apparently want, knew Jesus beforehand. The lot falls on him, and he is, they decide he's the one who's going to wait tables so that, the, so that the apostles and the disciples can go out and preach the word. Stephen gets dragged in as being affiliated with these people, and the Holy Spirit comes on Stephen, and he starts preaching this message, and it says it cuts them to the heart. But this is the most amazing thing that the Holy Spirit does. They drag him out to kill him, and Stephen does something crazy. This is how you know he has the Holy Spirit. He forgives them. He says, Father, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. See, there was such a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the apostles later on had to start correcting them. Had to start correcting Christians. Because the Holy Spirit would come on people and they would do amazing and powerful things. They would heal people. They would, I mean, I sort of get this picture of like, you know, the, the X-Men school, you know? Like people show up and it's like, hey, what can you do? You got the what can you do? I, I can appear here, there, 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 and there without ever walking. And other people have x-ray vision and other people can jump over buildings. The Holy Spirit is crazy. There's people who can tell the future. There's people who can prophesy. There's people who can preach. There's people who can heal people. There's this mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And people start to mistake the crazy power of the Spirit in the physical world for the true power of the Spirit, which is to contend with man, to bring them to God. And so, we're going to look at this passage in Romans. And Paul is trying to tell the Romans about how they know they have the Holy Spirit. And actually, we still have this argument today. How do you know you have the Holy Spirit? And there will be people who tell you, if you preach in tongues, you have the Holy Spirit. That's the mark. Or if you can leap over buildings in a single bound, you have the Holy Spirit. If you prophesy, if you preach, if you have x-ray vision, if you could do some of these things, you have the Holy Spirit. Paul says, no. Romans, don't mistake it. I'm not saying that stuff isn't the Holy Spirit, but let me tell you something better. Romans chapter 8, let's go to verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit of God, the mark of the Holy Spirit in our hearts is that our hearts cry, God, you are my Father. Because naturally we are estranged from God. Naturally our hearts say, you're this mad judge. Or we say, you're nothing but love, man. Or we say something, anything, but you are my Father and I am your son or daughter. 
God doesn't have grandchildren. He doesn't have great-grandchildren. He has sons and daughters and heirs. The mark of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you would like to know, is does your heart cry out to God, Father? If not, let me tell you something. You need the Holy Spirit. You're relying on something else. You need the Spirit of God to fill your heart and your mind. And it will cry, God, you are my Father. In another letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verse 22. I, I am just going to read this little bit. The fruit of the Spirit the, the Spirit pouring out through your life, this is what it looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And here's where we sort of end. The thing that set Jesus apart was the Holy Spirit. There are people who do signs and wonders all the time. The sign that Jesus gave us was he forgave someone like me who was pounding the nails into his hands. The Spirit of God flowed through him, and he said, I forgive you. That's the Spirit of God in your life. That's the most powerful thing the Holy Spirit can do through you. That you're going to love people you have no business loving. You're going to care about people you have no business caring about. You're going to be patient. You're going to be kind. You're going to be long-suffering. You're going to be gentle. You're going to forgive people. You're going to put your arms around people you have no business putting your arms around, and you're going to say, my heart cries, Abba, Father. Does yours too? Let me love you, because I can do nothing else, because the Spirit of God is in me and flowing through me. Can we all pray for this Spirit? Can't we all beg God for this spirit? I don't, I don't want to try to take the spirit's place this morning and tell you exactly how this needs to apply to your life. I don't want to make that mistake. But you need the Holy Spirit. We have to have the Holy Spirit. Our Christianity is dry without it. Our lives are dry without it. Our hearts are dry without it. He is the wellspring of life. And he is the one who allows us to call Abba, Father, we walk closer to God and we bring other people with us. Would you consider this week whether or not that describes you? And if it does, would you thank God for it? Would you lean into it? Would you just lean into the Spirit? Would you allow the Spirit of love to wash over you? And would you join Him in contending with man, bringing them closer to God?
And if not, let me give you an, let me give you an invitation. The Spirit of God still operates the way that it did at Pentecost. It still comes to us freely because of Jesus. Let me give you that invitation to say yes to the Spirit of God. If you ask for it, you will be given it. And if it's being stubborn, you can find people in this body, this body, who are faithful believers. You can ask them to put their hands on you and to pray with you that you would be able to love like Jesus loved. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for your spirit. I thank you that you have not given up striving with us, contending with us, convicting us, and drawing us to you through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask for a generous helping of the Holy Spirit. And I ask that you would pour it out on this congregation. That they would not be limited by strategies. They would not be limited by overthinking. They would not be limited by the things that go on in our crazy world. But Father, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out on them in such a mighty way. That you would start reaching those people who need to call you Father. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. And now a benediction. As you go into your world, may the Holy Spirit be poured out on you in such a mighty way that it starts leaping onto other people around you. Go in grace. Have a good week.